0: Thanks, John. Please take a seat. I'm just going to launch straight into the Word of God this morning. Joshua chapter 3, 17 verses. Are you ready, church? Follow along on the screen. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never travelled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a close distance between you, sorry, a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today, You will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up at a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathun. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Jesus, this is your word to us today. And as we hear you, God, calling us to unwavering faith, set us free from fear. And may we follow you. Open our hearts to your word now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I caught up with Joan Dunsing, who has been running Alpha on Thursdays, during the day Alpha this term, Um, and and she told me how as she was going through the feedbacks, um, another couple of people have just ticked yes during that course to follow Jesus. We have seen a steady stream of this happening over many years now in our church there is a a moment in this course that is often really impacting for people and people often raise it as something on that feedback as as it making a difference, it really stood out for them on their journey and exploration of faith. And as this painting by Holman Hunt from the pre-Raphaelite period, that doesn't actually mean much to me, but if you're an artist, that will just connect with you so powerfully. this homonym called the Jesus, the light of the world. Um, and recently when I was browsing through some episodes of Faith Runs Deep, that series by Carl Fayes, that's actually on Good TV at the moment. You might be able to catch it there. I, I'm just always amazed as I listen to these stories of the heritage of faith in our nation. And this one particular story caught my attention because it actually connects us with this painting by Holman Hunt that I've listened to for 10 years or more in the Alpha series. The painting of Jesus, I think we've got a picture of it there for you, was actually made in the late 1800s and it was the most famous painting of the Renaissance period. The artist, William Holman Hunt, had an awakening to faith in Jesus in his early 20s and he was divinely inspired to paint this picture. It took him eight years to complete. It was hung at the Oxford University where it was so popular they actually charged people to come in and see it, to view it. And then towards the end of his life, Holman Hunt painted another version of this painting, but much larger. It actually hangs in St Paul's Cathedral today. But it is this painting that became the most traveled artwork in history. It toured the Commonwealth, including a visit to Australia in 1906. Anyone here remember that? (laughs) Just thought I'd check. Here in our nation, maybe online, maybe. Here in our nation, People flocked to see this painting, this very painting, and were so impacted by it. The Australian population at the time was roughly 5 million people. And it is reported that 4 million of those people came to see that painting. 80% of our population compelled to see this sermon in a frame of Jesus, the light of the world knocking at the door of the hearts of people, waiting for them to open that door and welcome him in. Isn't that incredible? 80% of our population. Don't these stories in our past encourage us to pray for God to continue to move once again in our nation? Or are they just stories in our past? As I was reminded again of the promise over our nation and lands, I read again about the Portuguese explorer with a call to take the gospel to the Southeast islands of the globe who declared on the day of Pentecost in 1606, over the land of over the islands of Australasia, that this would be the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. A prophetic vision, an incredible promise. It encourages us as we pray for the reviving work of God in our nation. But that promise, 1606, was made 413 years ago. Is there any hope that this promise might yet be fulfilled? And as we come to Joshua chapter 3 in this series, we, we stand on the edges of the riverbank of the Jordan with these people, looking directly across at the promised land they had been hoping for and holding on to for so many years, on the verge of a fulfillment of this promise. I kind of looked into how long they'd been waiting for this promise. It was 680 years. The promise was first made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, when God said, leave your country and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. In chapter 15, when Abram just wanted to check if God really meant what he said, God affirmed the promise, even though Abram didn't yet have a son. He said his descendants would one day be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that he would bring them into a land a land of plenty, the land that these people right here in chapter 3 of Joshua are right in front of, just a river crossing away from the fulfilment of this promise. The promise is affirmed again and again in God's story with his people Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob on his deathbed affirms it to Joseph. Joseph on his deathbed shares the promise again that surely God will come and lead his people to the land he will give them. But then there are 400 years of captivity. 400 years where God's people are stuck in slavery in Egypt. It feels like the promise has been forgotten. And then, out of a burning bush, God speaks it again to Moses. He says, I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries. I have come to rescue them and lead them out of, Jesus, out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites now live. It is the very same land promised to Abram. By the powerful and miraculous hand of God, Moses leads the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the waters of the Red Sea. God calls his people into this covenant relationship with him. And I couldn't count the number of times that God kept affirming this promise of land to Moses in this story. After a year at Mount Sinai, he is ready to lead them into it. But that report from the the spies comes back. And they are filled with fear rather than unwavering faith. And they are prevented from going into that promised land. They, they don't have the faith and trust to believe that God can do that. That God could bring them into that land he had promised. And so for 40 years, God's people are left to wander in the wilderness. Meandering through a desert. And here we come to Joshua chapter 3. And we are on the verge of entering this land again. And I think we're meant to feel the tension of this. Will they do it this time? Will they be filled with faith instead of fear? Will they follow God and believe in the fulfillment of this 680-year promise that is about to unfold? There was probably not a day in the last 40 years where these people would not have been longing to be in this land, wouldn't have been regretting the decision that they been made not to trust God. There were over a million, maybe a million and a half of them now as they wandered through the desert, as they camped on the east side of the Jordan River. In their narrative history, they are only ever referred to as a people, but this promise of land will make them into a nation. This passage says they spent three days here by the Jordan. Three days. Three days seems like a short time, doesn't it, in comparison to 40 years of waiting and and 680 years of waiting but the waiting sometimes feels like it takes forever. Like I hate waiting for the light to turn green. And perhaps their excitement and anticipation of what God was about to do here waned in the face of the flooded river that stood between them and this land of promise. How would they ever get a million people across there? How could God bring them this far to be confronted with a flooded river that would be impossible to cross? From recent years here in Queensland, we know about the dangers of flood water, don't we? We know that it's not safe to navigate through it. I have a cousin who lives in King Arroyo and was driving at night in a flood season, hit water on a road that he didn't see, and his whole car was swept away down a river. Flood waters are unpredictable and unsafe. And as the people stared at that Jordan River for three days, I wonder if fear started to well up in them. Waiting tends to accentuate our fears, doesn't it? We have time to think about the what ifs. Our minds tend to get carried away with worry about anything and everything that could go wrong. Have you ever experienced this while you've been waiting on God to bring about his promise? The more we wait the harder it is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and hold firm in our faith. We even start to wonder if God really made that promise. Did we somehow get all of this wrong? We doubt ourselves. We doubt God. And I'm sure this three days was a challenging time for these people. From God's perspective, though, I wonder if these three days was just like a little pause for effect. The people seeing the river, seeing the more they looked at it, how impossible it would actually be to get across to the other side. And the more they thought it was impossible, the more God realised they would appreciate the great miracle he was about to unfold. God is saying, I am the one who will see you across. I am calling you to be a people who walk by faith and not by what you see. Now that you realize you can't do this on your own, turn your eyes towards me. See what I am about to do. On the third day by that river, Joshua tells the people in verse 5, Purify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. There is a preparation needed here to experience the presence of God, His holiness, His majesty, His power. This is not the time to question or doubt God. The opposite, it's the time to draw near to Him, to abide in who He is. Consecration is this idea of separating from anything unclean, anything that would hinder us from coming in to the presence of God. It is a spiritual and a physical preparation, a preparation of every part of our being in expectation to encounter him. This idea of consecration was part of this covenant picture of Sabbath rest, a day set aside when nothing else mattered but being in the presence of God, experiencing him as everything we need. There was a preparation necessary to experience God's presence, to see his promise and power unfold. If we had a word from God right now to say tomorrow, He was going to do something great in our midst, would your plans for today look any different? If we are believing, church, for God to fulfill His promise of a mighty outpouring of His Spirit over our community, over our nation, what kind of preparation is he calling us as his church to in humility and utter dependence on god to do what only god could do here joshua calls his people to consecration to get ready to be expectant to prepare their hearts To set their mind on God, to repent and be cleansed from sin, to remember who God is and be filled with worship and adoration. For he is about to do something mighty in our midst. The Ark of the Covenant is a feature in this story, it's mentioned nine times in these 17 verses. In the 40-year history of these people, the ark was housed in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, and it was placed right in the center at the Holy of Holies. It is where God's presence dwelt. And only once a year on the Day of Atonement did a priest come in carrying the blood sacrifice to present before God. Meet in this way. It was a beautiful box covered in gold. It had these cherubim angels with their wings hovering over what was called the mercy seat. So symbolic. It was where God's presence came and dwelt with his people, this intersection of heaven meeting earth there. The ark wasn't holy in and of itself. It was God's presence that made it holy. It contained the tablets of the law of Moses. So right in the midst was this reminder of the covenant relationship these people were in. God's faithfulness to them. Their call to obedience to God. And Numbers 10 explains in details that every time God's people were on the move as they meandered through their desert wanderings, There was a process for the people to move, a process that involved moving the tabernacle and the ark. There were three tribes that would go ahead. Then the tent part would be packed up and go. Then there'd be more tribes. Then the sacred objects, including the Ark of the Covenant, would come and they'd all be covered up so no one could see them. Then more tribes. The ark was in the middle. It was protected by all the tribes around it as they moved through the desert. But here something different happens. Here, Joshua gives the command to move into the promised land and it is not their usual pack up and move. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, leads the way. I could be wrong here, but there is no indication that the Ark was covered up for this event. It was held high, lifted up for all to see. It kind of felt more like a military campaign as these priests carried the ark before the people moving forward. A king was the one who would normally lead their people into battle. And here God was the king leading the way, leading them into victory, leading them into the fulfilment of his promise. They're stepping out in faith Trusting God to achieve this for them. It reminds me of the command where Jesus says simply, follow me. This isn't blind faith, but it does involve complete trust and surrender of our plans. There's a warning to stay a good distance away from it. There are lots of stories in the Old Testament about people where things didn't go so well when they got near to that ark. It's a respecting of God's holiness. But, but I wonder if the distance as the ark was carried in the lead by these priests was actually so every single person present could see it, would know the presence of God with his people, leading them into Their promised land. I love the words describing God in this chapter. Today you will know the living God is among you. Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth. Joshua wants to make it very clear that the God we follow is not like any other God. He is alive and on the move. He has been their faithful God in the desert and now watch and see is God over every molecule on the planet. As they followed God to the edge of this impassable river, their hearts would have been expectant. They were prepared and expectant. The presence of God was with them going before them, leading them into the life he has for them. The next part is where the rubber hits the road or in this case where the feet hit the water. Nothing was going to happen here if God's people stood still. This is still so much of a mystery to me but God allows us to be active participants in his unfolding plans. Those priests carrying the ark had to get their feet wet before the miracle unfolded. A miracle was certainly required for this crossing to take place, but the people needed to be willing to move toward the miracle to see it unfold. How often do we find ourselves longing for God to do something But in fear, we just don't want to take that first step. It is not enough to receive the promises. Not enough even to believe that God could do it. He calls us to step out. He calls us to exercise our faith, put it into action. I love the stories we are hearing about people stepping out in faith with the question, I've been thinking about reading the Bible and was wondering if you might be interested in reading with me. Don't you love that question? I love hearing about people actually using it, saying it, and the yes response that we're almost surprised by when we ask that question. Such a simple step. But what wonders is God about to unfold as we take that step? Belief changes to faith when we put it into action. Following Jesus is not something that happens in our head. It's an action that requires a a step. The first step is opening the door. And then it is a daily practice each day. Stepping out in obedience as we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Scholars guess that this river was possibly a kilometer wide in the flood season. There was no way a million, a million and a half people could cross over it. But God says to Joshua, as soon as the priests carrying the ark put their feet in the water the flow of water will be cut off upstream. The river will stand up like a wall. Have you ever had a moment where you think, God, I really believe you can do amazing things, but how could this possibly happen? As Joshua heard this message, no doubt for him and Caleb, they went back to that time where they saw the Red Sea split open. The children who walked through that Red Sea were part of this group here today. How much were the stories of faith from the past filling them with faith now to take this step into the flooded Jordan? It is important to tell these stories. It fills us with faith to believe that God will do it again. God split the water once before. To deliver his people and now he would perform the same miracle to lead them into the inheritance he has for them it's kind of the same but also different last time Moses just held up his staff this time God calls these people to step into the rushing river and trust that as they do this miracle will unfold That this miracle would unfold right now, but also for the victories that God would achieve them that was still ahead of them as they stepped into this promise. That as they faithfully followed him, God would continue to act on his word and bring about his victory for them. Until that step of faith happened, nothing was going to change. It defies all common sense and logic that you would walk into a swollen, rushing river carrying the sacred and holy ark of the Lord. And for those priests called to this obedience, they knew God had given his word and they were mustering every bit of faith, remember For God to work, it doesn't rely on how much faith we had. Jesus told us faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Our faith is in a big and mighty God. They're recalling everything that they remember God doing for them. Every miracle. And no doubt they were praying to God as they took that first step. Can you imagine the events that unfolded from there? I just love the matter-of-fact explanation in, in verses 15 and 16. As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, whoosh, the water was held back. 20 k's up the river at a dam. a massive big wall of water was created. The water in front of them flowed down to the lowest point on the whole earth, the Dead Sea, leaving the riverbed dry for the people to walk across right in front of their enemies. Did you notice that? This happened right in front of Jericho. Last week we heard how the people of Jericho were melting in fear because of what they heard God do 40 years ago through the Red Sea. Imagine the fear now as they watch the river wall up and a million people come across into their land. And then the whooshing gush of that wall of water being released behind them there was no turning back now they'd taken the stem they were committed to following god committed to trusting him committed to seeing him follow through on every promise he had made to them the crossing over is significant here The root word for for that term crossing over, Hebrew is used 24 times in chapters three and four. It describes or captures the significant transition that is taking place in this moment for this people. A people without a land brought into a land. A people who had been wandering in a wilderness now have a home a people who had always been referred to as a people in the very last line of this chapter are for the first time called a nation. Their identity has changed as they've crossed over this river. About 1,400 years after the Jordan crossing took place, Jesus would come to these same waters It is believed it was the very same place and in obedience to his father's voice, took a step into that Jordan to be baptized. It was also a crossing, a transition of significance for Jesus as he stepped into his calling and his mission to bring salvation to all humanity. This time it wasn't the waters that parted, but the heavens that opened. We read the Spirit of God fell from heaven. The voice of the Father declared, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Because Jesus took that step. Jesus invites us into relationship with him to follow him, to be an active participant in the promises of his kingdom. This message of faith translates into a walk of faith. Hear that today, church. What does crossing over from fear to faith look like for you today? Has there been a moment where you've opened the door of your heart to Jesus knocking? Jesus said these very words. Truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That is a crossing that we take hold of today, it is for you today if you've never taken that step. Is there a crossing through the waters of baptism that God has been putting on your heart? We are holding baptisms at our outpouring worship night. I couldn't think of a more beautiful time to go through those waters as we call on the Holy Spirit to pour out His Spirit upon us. Are there situations in your life where God has promised something but right now it seems impossible? Be encouraged this morning. Walk by faith and not by sight. Listen for God's voice and take the step he's calling you to. We are believing, church, for our community and our nation. To walk and know Jesus as our Saviour. Promises that might be 413 years so far to be fulfilled. But as we as people prepare our hearts, lay hold of God's promises for us, step into following him taking those next steps he's calling us to we are believing that we will see a mighty outpouring of his power please bow your heads and pray with me Jesus we thank you for your word And there are some particularly here today, God, that you're calling to lay down fear. To lay it at your feet, God, and no victory over it. Lord, thank you that you have made the way for us to come boldly into your presence, boldly by your grace. For the impossible situations that are faced here today in this room and online, God, we ask that you would affirm again your promises. That you would prepare us as your people, God. Call us into those steps that you have for us in following you. And God, we long for your power to come. We long for your presence to come. We long for you to move Almighty God, and that our hearts cry for revival for this nation, Lord. You remind us today that you hear the cries of your people, you see the oppression of the enemy, and you are the one who will lead us into victory. We honor you, we trust you, Jesus. We hold on to these promises again. Fill us with faith. Overcome our fear as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.